to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production. I'm your host, Candace Hagens, and as always, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk Hawks with you. Your Seattle Seahawks are officially first place in the NFC West. That's right. First place. They are number one in what was thought to be preseason in one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL. And while exactly maybe hasn't played out the way everybody thought, it's still a very good division. Make no mistake, it still has the reigning Super Bowl champions, still has what most think of as a Super Bowl contender in the 49ers. And also, it has the Cardinals, which are generally respected as being pretty good at the very least. And so it is an accomplishment and it means a lot for the Seahawks to be in this position in the first year of a rebuild. This team is still competitive and this game was everything that I thought it was going to be in terms of the statement that it made if they got a win or if they lost. This really was a statement game one way or the other and it was going to determine how we all viewed this team. And the narrative has seemed to shift it. Nationally, most people are giving Pete Carroll, Geno Smith, this roster, this rookie class, a lot of respect for being so competitive and being in it. And I'm not sure there are, there are huge expectations on this team, but everyone is just appreciating where they are and versus where everybody expected them to be. And that's what I thought. I always thought that Pete Carroll was going to put together a competitive roster. We're seeing that play out. Now, I'll be honest, and I'll admit that I didn't think that this team was going to be as good as they have shown. I didn't think that this rookie class would be able to come in and make immediate contributions. I, I thought that Ken Walker would be able to make immediate contributions, and I, I honestly thought that was pretty much it. I did think the rookie tackles would hold up well, and that pretty much concluded what I expected from this rookie class. I did not think that we'd be looking up and seven weeks later that they'd have six starters or five starters and, and one real contributor in Boye Mafe. That are, that are really give, providing winning elements for this team, that's really giving this team a boost. And I had a, a very optimistic view, very optimistic perspective in the preseason, and even I, my expectations have been out-surpassed. This team is officially 4-3, and three, and in my mind, it doesn't really matter what happens. There's going to be a tougher schedule coming up. I expected them to excel and, and, out, and, and outperform people's expectations in the first half of the season. I just thought it would be with the veterans. It means a lot more that they're succeeding with the rookies. And I think, I don't know, maybe they'll lose some games here as they go down to face tougher opponents like the Chiefs and got to face the Rams twice. So it's going to get tougher, but this team is building momentum and they'll be competitive in any game they're in. And ultimately, no matter, no matter what their final record is, I think they've made a statement about where they are and where they're going. And I think come draft time, everybody's going to see the Seahawks as being, as being in a very good position for the future more than any other team. So a lot to be excited about. So today we're going to talk about the game. I'll give you my takeaways on both sides of the ball and we'll get into some Seahawks superlatives. So let's get into it and talk some Hawks. So as I mentioned, this was the most complete game that the Seattle Seahawks played. Geno Smith played a very good game. I think it was probably his worst game, actually, just in terms of the the throws. I feel like he did force it sometimes, but he still came out with 210 yards, throwing 20 for 27, 20, two touchdowns. He did have one interception that I do not fault him for. That interception was not his fault. It was a defensive pass interference, in my opinion, and it ended up getting picked. Whatever. Two sacks, and he ended up having a passer rating of 105.5. 
Geno had, he did have PFF graded him and having about two turnover worthy plays. I think I saw those too. And that's good for Geno. I mean, <laughs> not just for Geno, but in general, like he's, he's done so well about making sure the ball isn't in harm's way. Hopefully he can get a little bit better about that and doesn't continue to push it. Cause I think he did get lucky a couple times, but he also had two big time throws to make up for it. But it wasn't just the just the passing game. Um, there was a lot of damage done in the run game. Ken Walker the third came out with an absolute splash, letting the league know he was here. The team had a total of two hundred and thirteen rushing yards, so they ran for more than they for more than they passed this week, which was something I'm sure Pete Carroll loved. But it, it wasn't by that much. It was still very well balanced. Ken Walker ran for 167 yards, 23 carries. He averaged 7.5 yards per carry at two touchdowns, one of which was a 74-yarder that absolutely put the game away. He had an incredible game. You could just see the speed, the burst. You could see he is an every-down type of back. It was such a well-rounded performance with him. He had a power run where he took five defensive tackles with him as he as he ran for the first down. It was an incredible, powerful run. You saw his speed on display, him being the fastest uh, ball carrier in the league, running 22 miles per hour for his touchdown. And, and you just saw some of the finesse, the elusiveness. Sometimes I don't feel like the guard play was, was great in terms of opening up holes for Ken Walker. He was able to just make something work on it on a play that I personally would think was a loss. And he did it time and time and time again. So shout out to Ken Walker. He had an incredible game, K-9. And then we had a surprise. It, it was a, a surprise performance from Marquise Goodwin. DK Metcalf was unfortunately lost in this game due to injury. The team lost him to a patellar tendon injury in his knee. And so he is out for an undisclosed amount of time. I expect him personally, based on what I've heard, to be absent for at least two to four weeks. So it could be some time without DK. And I was concerned when DK went out because the passing game had been going pretty well, but I would I didn't think it was on fire by any means. And Marquise Goodwin just came in and stepped up. With his four receptions, he had 67 yards and two touchdowns. He was absolutely huge in this game, and, and you hope that this is a game that he can build off of. I mean, it really was an incredible thing. This One of the things I was concerned about was wide receiver depth. And I'm not going to lie. I'm still concerned about wide receiver depth. But uh, Marquise Goodwin showed that he can fill in nicely. This team is going to have a lot of speed on its side. And so I'm curious to see how, how they continue to build on their performance. But it wasn't just the offense. Like I said, the offense played well. Uh, they ended up getting the win. Another game where the offense was able to score over 30 points. They scored 37 points to be exact. But the Seahawks was able to hold the Chargers to 23 points. And and one of those touchdowns was in garbage time. They held them to 17 points for the bulk of the game. And I really wish that they would not have been able to give up that stupid touchdown at the end. Because it was pretty much on the back of a Uchenna Nwosu offsides that he was barely offsides. I really don't really feel like he was offsides, but they called it. It ended up taking a pick away from Kobe Bryant. Could have been a great way to end the game. But anyway, because of that, Chargers got another goal with it. They ended up getting a garbage time touchdown. You hated to see that because this defense has been so bad that they need to 
retain all the points they can get. And they can't afford to be giving up dark garbage time points or yards or anything because that's how bad they've been to start the season. But bad was not how they looked against the Chargers on Sunday. An incredible game all around. I, I dare I say a, a dominant performance from the defense. Well, Candace, dominant from, from this defense? Yeah, dominant from this defense. Listen to these stats. The Seattle Seahawks defense produced nine passes defensed, three sacks, eight quarterback hits, 22 pressures, one interception, one forced fumble, all in one game. And like I said, held the Chargers to basically 17 points. You could say 23 ultimately is what they were going for, but even that's not bad. A dominant performance. Justin Herbert only had a QBR rating of 26.8. A a terrible, terrible performance from him forced by the hand of the Seahawks defense. And it was well-balanced on the defense. They weren't just, like I said, nine passes defense, but they also had three sacks. They were 22 pressures. They were absolutely dominant. The lot of scrimmage. Herbert was seeing pressure left and right. Nintendo Nwosu definitely stepped up. You saw hit. You saw this game and a lot to him. He was harassing that offensive line. He was an absolute force, and Herbert felt his presence. Utena definitely got his revenge game, and I'm sure he feels great about it. And there were some real great performances from the defense as well. Most notably is Ryan Neal stepping in for Jamal Adams. I don't know why this team didn't play him from the beginning when he went out. This team could have been a lot better, I think, had Ryan Neal played from the beginning and not Josh Jones. But Ryan Neal with a dominant four passes defensed and an interception. I mean, he he had an incredible game. His best game of his career by far. He ultimately ended up grading out in PFF. He had a game-leading 93.9 game on PFF. I mean, that's perfect. That's a perfect game. And it showed up on film. But Ryan Neal wasn't alone. He wasn't the only one making plays. Michael Jackson had his best game of the season, I thought, playing lockdown defense. He had one pass defense. He almost should have. He really should have had two interceptions if he just had, like, any hands whatsoever. If he had the ability to catch, like, literally anything. I don't know if this team is passing on the tradition of, like, Jamal Adams with just catching a ball and just, or, and just letting it bounce off your head or bounce off your chest. I don't understand the... They really need to get on the jugs machines. But anyway, a, a strong performance by Michael Jackson. Tariq did give up his first touchdown allowed of the season. That was unfortunate to see, but he did only give up 37 yards to Mike Williams. He had one pass defense himself. And then you saw the D-line getting involved. Shelby Harris had two passes defensed. Puna Ford had a pass defensed. And, and that's, in the, that's in addition to getting after it, getting after the quarterback. And speaking of D-line, I was concerned. We talked about it in a preview game about the about Austin Eckler and how a key to this game was absolutely bottling up the run and bottling up Austin Eckler. They most definitely did that, only, only allowing for Eckler to have 31 yards for nine carries. 31 yards for nine carries. Yeah, absolutely dominant. They only allowed 53 rushing yards in all. The other, the only other person who really was able to get any running at all on this team was Justin Herbert, who had 22 yards, you know, running the, running the, running the ball, making plays that way. But they didn't get ate up by Herbert, and they shut down Eckler altogether. Now, 
They did allow Eckler to get 93 yards in receiving. I'll admit that. But honestly, if you got to force him to play one game, like force him to just become a receiver, you can live with that. You can live with that all day because Eckler's explosive. He's an explosive guy. And if you got if you take him off the ground and you force him to rush, you got Tariq Woolen covering. You got, I don't think Tariq Woolen guarded him, but you got enough guys to let that fly. I think a lot of those yards were on the backs of the were on the backs of the linebackers, pretty much. Cody Barden, he was able to get yards against Jordan Brooks, he was able to get yards against, but I mean that's the kind of thing you gotta live with. But he he didn't really have an effect on this game. He didn't even feel those 96 yards because they just couldn't get anything going on offense. The defense was just too dominant in a lot of ways. And so it was just impressive to see. I was just proud of the holistic part of this team. This team looked good against a good opponent. And I think they could take a lot of what they did and they can build on it. Another thing that I want to talk about that I just want to give a shout out to, I talked about the importance of not letting Khalil Mack get the best of this team and how Sean Desai was going to play a role, hopefully, in helping the offense scheme up, Shane Waldron scheme up, and how to how to play to Khalil Mack's weaknesses. And I feel like that's exactly what happened because Khalil Mack had his worst game of the year. He was held to one pressure, one, when he had 22 up until this, first, up until this game. He had a 53.9 pass rush grade, which, is lowest, which was his lowest grade by PFF of the year. And so they did an effective job of that. The secret weapon really came in. The two secret weapons I felt like this team had going into this game was Nintendo Nuosu in his revenge game, as well as Sean Desai. And both of those things showed up strong and ultimately led the Seahawks to a dominant victory against the Los Angeles Chargers. So those are pretty much my takeaways I don't, they're, they're, this game really speaks for itself. There's not a lot to criticize. There's only, there's only praise. There's only praise to heap on all these players. And so let's get into some of the superlatives for the week. I want to do, bring back our Seahawks superlatives. So let's start off with most likely to succeed next week. I think the first opponent is is fairly obvious, and I've got Marquise Goodwin here. Marquise Goodwin, who had a 71.1 PFF grade for his performance last week. We already talked about his two touchdowns, uh, 67 yards. He led the lead. He led the team in receiving. And with DK Metcalf out, this team is absolutely going to need him. So I think he is set up for success. Pete Carroll talked about it before. He mentioned that there isn't really anything that he can't do. And I have faith that he can be able to take take advantage of this opportunity. That I think he's been wanting an opportunity like this, and I think he's hungry enough to take advantage of it. I think he'll step up and, and be good for the Hawks. On defense, I think most likely to succeed is actually going to be Boye Mafe. And that's because the Giants, their coming opponent, if you don't know already, is, is going to be facing the 6-1 Giants, which will be a great challenge. And I think that for him, and, and really the key to playing this team is stopping the run. Boye Mafe does that at an elite level. He consistently ranks in the high 80s in, in, in his run blocking performances. He is a very good player run blocker one of the best on this team 
And I think this will be a good challenge for him. I think he will be up for it. I think Saquon Bartley is a guy who particularly will want to take advantage of getting out along the edges. He can run in between the tackles just as well. But I think Big Al Woods can take care of that for us. But Boye Mafe, I think, will have a great opportunity to step up and show some dominance to, to make some plays, stopping the run uh, or, or keeping the run contained. I think he's going to be the key to success for the Seattle Seahawks in order to uh, win this upcoming game. Now let's talk about who's most likely to get benched. Now, this is an interesting conversation because it's coming off of the heels of such a strong game from all of the Seahawks on both sides of the ball. So it seems a little weird to talk about this, but I think it's important. So there are a couple ways this can go, and I've got two opponents or two two candidates that I've got for defense because Cody Barton is most likely to be benched. They played him a lot against the uh, Chargers, and I think that's because they wanted to make sure they could they could cover. They needed another cover guy, and I don't – not that I – Cody Barton is supposed to be good at coverage. I haven't seen that this year. He still has 95% allowed rating, but I think the point was to get another guy who can go backwards, who can cover guys, get on top of guys, stay close to them. And take that take that option away from Justin Herbert. That worked very well, I think, game plan wise for the Chargers. I don't think that the Giants have nearly the pass threats that the Chargers did, having Keenan Allen and Mike Williams back. And so I, I think that he sees a lot less time. Like I just think by default they're gonna scheme to not play him, especially that the doubt that the run stopping the run is gonna be so important. That's not going to be Cody Barton. You don't want to go to him in those type of situations. You really don't even want him on the field in those type of situations. So I think he will see a decreased number of snaps. I think you'll see a lot more three safety looks, that type of thing. Guys who can fly, get to the ball, right into the ball, tackle well. I think that'll be the point of emphasis, or at least it should be. So that's one guy who I think is more likely to get benched. But the next guy is Michael Jackson. And it this, this seems unfortunate, but it... It is a reality. Michael Jackson is playing very well, so this is not likely to be benched because of poor performance, but Pete Carroll and the front office did officially announce that they have activated Trey Brown off of IR. He's eligible to practice. He got a three-week window where he can practice. He may or may not be active in in this next game, but Michael Jackson's got some competition now. Trey Brown left off on an excellent foot. He has been hungry to play. He's been wanting to play. He is looking forward to this opportunity, and he is going to absolutely push that job for Michael Jackson. And I think that the Seahawks might be inclined to play a Trey Brown, a guy who they have under contract for multiple years, and get him those reps if he's even comparable. Like, even if Michael Jackson is slightly better, I think they'll still give the edge to Trey Brown because of what they saw from him last year, because he's on a rookie contract still, and because he he just... He plays so well. He just had the opportunity to ride from him. I think Pete Carroll seems almost giddy to get Trey Brown back. So I think that might lead to Michael Jackson being benched. Now, I don't think he'll be benched in this next game. At the very least, he might have to give up some reps to Trey Brown if if he proves to be good enough in practice. But I don't think he'll be altogether benched. But it's coming if Trey Brown is anything that close to what he was before. It's going to be hard for Michael Jackson to hold on to that to that spot. But it's going to make the cornerback room better overall. So it's really it's really a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Now, most likely to get benched in a bad way 
is Jake Curham. Jake Curham, unfortunately, struggled. He had to come in because Phil Haynes ended up getting diagnosed with a concussion. He was pulled from the game in the middle of it, and Jake Curran got he got put in at guard. And he's Curran's not a guard. He's a tackle. And whenever they play him at guard, it's not good. He was able to thrive in the preseason, but that's preseason. When you're playing an NFL regular season game, that's not the position that you really want that guy in. He's a he's a road grader, and he's definitely not a pass protector, especially at the guard position. And that reflected in his in his performance. Uh, a couple of end zone plays got blown up simply because of Jake Curran. He ended up having a zero passer rating, passer grade by PFF. I didn't know you could literally have a zero until now. I learned something new every day. Dirk Curran did not at all do well in pass pro. He didn't even really do that well in run blocking as he only scored a, a 50 run block for that. He he was better, but not great. So he had a 30 overall grade. Phil Haynes is coming back. They're not going to want him in that role. And they should. I mean, I don't think they should keep putting him in that position. Play him. He's not a backup guard. He's a backup tackle. Just because he's a body there doesn't mean that that's what he does best. Whatever. But Jake Curran definitely getting benched in a bad way. That's going to definitely probably happen. Phil Haynes looks like he might be better. He I think he's practicing it. It looks like he's on track to play on Sunday. Most improved through week seven. This award, this award has got to go to Ryan Neal. And I've talked about him a lot. I can't talk about him enough because that's how dominant his performance was. I didn't even talk about this before, but Ryan Neal was sick that game. This was kind of like his flu game where he played. Uh, Corbin Smith even reported that he talked to Ryan Neal and Ryan Neal threw up after his interception on the sideline and, and still came back out and he didn't miss a snap, man. He was sick as a dog playing through that game and to play as phenomenally as he did is just incredible. Again, a 93.9, the highest rated great defender on the team all season. No, no player has had a 93.9, I don't believe. I could be mistaken about that, but I don't remember seeing a Anybody had had over a 95, you know, PFF grade. It was just incredible. And I say most improved because Ryan Neal's first game when he came in to get legitimate snaps in that in that Lions game was poor. And he had a 48.6 grade. He was not doing any better than Josh Jones. He, he looked very rusty. He didn't look good. And so to go from that big of a jump where he's making plays on a ball constantly before where he was giving up plays and he wasn't. He missed a thick tackle or two. He was give, gave up a couple touchdowns that first game. People scored on him. Just such a marked improvement from when he first was brought in to replace Josh Jones. And I think he just needed to get his game back under him. I, hopefully he can play close to as well next week, even though he's not sick. Hopefully he's feeling better and he can be a little more healthy. Hopefully it doesn't require him being sick to put out performances like this. But Man, it was an absolute dominant one for sure, and that has to be acknowledged. And then on offense, most improved player through week set through week seven is Ken Walker the third. Again, yes, I talked about him already. No, I can't talk about him enough. It's just how incredible this guy is. He led the offense in getting the highest grade in PFF 82.4. And when he first started, when he came in for the Saints game. After Shai Penny went down, 
yes, he had that yard. He had that uh, huge run for a touchdown, similar, you know, speed we saw from him, similar playmaking we saw from him. But PFF didn't like him, 57.8. I think the issue was his run blocking still wasn't good. And I thought sometimes he still got mixed up on his plays. Ken Walker still had the habit to run in the wrong, run in the wrong direction. He wasn't as familiar with the playbook. Sometimes he there would be a whole opening. There was a couple plays, especially in that Saints game, where he could have ran up, he could have ran behind the center, but he opted not to or he hesitated. And so he ended up just sort of getting a minimal game for like three or four yards. And it wasn't bad, but it, it was subtle things that he could have done differently to make the difference in his game. But this game was absolutely flawless. He made the most out of every opportunity. You could tell he's much more comfortable with the speed of the game, taking advantage of his blocks, getting skinny to get in between, get in between his guards when there aren't any real holes open. Always making something happen, making the most out of something out of nothing is what he's doing. He's continually forcing tackles at an elite rate, leading the league in that category. So he is by far the most improved player. So hats off to Ken Walker the third. And then best all-around performance on defense, again, Ryan Neal. Nobody played better, period. Nobody played better. Not even close. I'm not going to talk about that more, but just know he gets not just most improved, but he gets best all-around because that's exactly what he was on this defense. And best all-around on offense, yeah, I could go Ken Walker, but I'm going to go in a different direction because Ken Walker did have some issues with uh, Pras Pro. That he wasn't as great at that. He didn't. Fail at it by any means, but you know, below average in pass blocking. Um, not as great. Um, when he was asked to run block, which actually happened, which was a thing. Um, not as effective when he had to do that. So I'm gonna pivot to somebody who I feel like is under the radar. So this, he is the best all around player on offense, but this this week, but also, I feel like he is the most underrated, and that's Phil Haynes. Phil Haynes had an overall offensive grade of 80.6. He was the second highest rated offensive player on the team. People don't really tend to give those off, this offensive lineman credit, especially the guard play because it's been questionable. But Haynes had an excellent game, a truly excellent game. He had an 86 passer uh, pass blocking grade, which is phenomenal. He had a run blocking grade of 74.4, and that's on 47 snaps in all. So in his time, he was absolutely the best offensive lineman and the offensive line was huge not just in pass pro but also in the run game this game so I've got to give credit to the offensive lineman who who produced or played the best in that game and allowed for um some of those big plays that we saw not just from Gino but also Ken Walker the third all right guys well that's all the time I have for today Tune in to our next episode where we will preview the Giants game. Huge matchup. Actually, one of the only matchup between two winning teams. So that'll be interesting. We'll get into the matchups on how I think the game will go, predictions, and we might even do a little bit of Parson Peep for you guys. It's been a while since we've done that. In the meantime, be sure to follow me on Twitter at CandaceH901. And make sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. You can get all of your analysis, polls, information there we get pff grade so you can always get the latest uh, updates about that be sure to give us a follow if you're listening on youtube we'd love to hear your comments thoughts um what did, what did you think about the game how do you think about how do you view the seahawks right now in the meantime guys that's it i'm out and as always go hawks